Welcome to Talking History, a series of talks from Farnham U3A History Group. In this talk, Nigel Barriott gives us an insight into the life of Victoria and Albert. Part 3. A bit more about family life. Unlike now, it's considered a woman's duty to produce children. Victoria, however, disliked being a brood mare. She's said to have been highly controlling, and she certainly resented the amount of time Albert spent with the children. Victoria and Albert raised their extensive royal family within the traditions of the classic British monarchy. Eight of the children went on to, to marry into other royal families. That picture there, a wonderful picture, that, that's all the children there. Balmoral, the mystery of Balmoral, which, which is near Aberdeen. And it's owned, owned by the royal, royal family, not part of the Crown estate. It's not owned by the state. And it's surrounded in, in mystery. Prince Albert's rooms got money given to him by an old miser. And I, I tried to find out more about this, but I, I, haven't, I haven't found out. And it, it, it was, they had a lot of extensions and they sort of moved the house around. And um, the, the royal family now, of course, are very fond of it because it's isolated. You, you can escape from the paparazzi, or hopefully you can. Right, I'm just going to briefly mention the Great Exhibition. This was a high watermark of the royal marriage. Prince Albert with a gifted team, including the extraordinary gardener architect, Joseph Paxton, creating a, an a event that dazzled the country and the world. If there's one thing I, I, I wish I could have done in Victoria times, I'd like to be down there walking around. Absolutely wonderful. There's a tree in there, several slides, and uh, Victoria finally realised that she had a hugely able husband and came to rely on him more and more. Right, I'm just going to say a bit about Albert's social conscience. When um, Albert married, he wanted to take on a greater role in the affairs of state, but was on the whole marginalised with any minor duties to perform, certainly initially. When Victoria became pregnant, he seized the opportunity to play a greater part and took up the cause of anti-slavery, which had actually been banned, still existed, and he was, he was passionate about eradicating it altogether. He actually got involved in the cause and skillfully established himself as a serious man to the English public. He felt, however, nothing but an accessory to the Queen and wanted to play a still greater part. He spent an evening incognito among the slums in London and witnessed extreme deprivation and destitution. Disease and poor sanitation were rife and it was a shock to his German sensibilities. He was extremely curious as to why nobody ever mentioned the poor. Albert started to attend government meetings. He saw the need to improve the working conditions of the poor and recognised the need for change via education and time he became a champion of the working classes. He was especially popular with the basket weavers. Uh, he was interested in industrial and scientific revolution was taking place and visited many docks and factories. He witnessed new innovations such as the first electronic telegraph, the penny farthing, and of course he loved it, but he loved the railways. Went to the building of new ships. He was the first member of the royal family to have his photo taken. 
And now, the Great Exhibition, he also helped to plan and supervise the construction of Crystal Palace for the Great Exhibition in 1851. This was erected as the largest prefab in the world, and it's four and a half thousand tons of iron and its acres of glass. Victoria herself visited the exhibition 30 times and thought it Albert's defining moment. With the huge profit made, Albert instigated the building of a new village of museums across from Hyde Park, the VMA, the Royal Albert Hall, the Natural History Museum, the Imperial History Museum, now Imperial College, and the Royal College of Music. And for some Victorians, it was all a bit too much, you know. Charles Dickens sort of complaining that Albert was giving too much of the limelight, basically. Various other people did. This area was later nicknamed Albertopolis. This is very sad. I was talking about the average life expectancy in Victorian times, certainly in the first half or two thirds of the century, was 45. So Albert suddenly died at 42. It's an enormous shock to everybody. Started complaining of back pain and stomach pain. Seemed to be stressed out in, in modern parlance. He took everything on himself. He had no, no concept of delegation or anything like that. He definitely overworked. And the conventional wisdom, at least when I was young, used to be that hard work never killed anyone. You get on with this and that kind of thing. But he, he got on with it a bit too much. He didn't have a, a good work-life balance. Started rising. He's up at five in the morning. And he had a lot of kind of official engagements, and he only had his own projects. He spent time with the children, and Victoria got fed up with him because he, was, well, he wasn't giving her enough attention, basically. Possibly, I've, I've written almost certainly misdiagnosed with, with having typhoid fever. Perhaps I'm not correct there. The Windsor Castle lose may well have given him typhoid. It's quite dangerous going to the loo in those days, actually. At the end, he said he was tired and weary and wanted to go. And that was about the last picture of him taken. He's got a sort of rather kind of haunted look. Very sad. Thank you. We leave the third part of the talk at the time where the audience took a short break for coffee. The views expressed by the speaker are not necessarily the same as those held by the team at the Mr. T Podcast Studio. This podcast is produced by the Mr. T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A Group.